parents came from India. They were Christian missionaries. Um, so moved here at the age of six. Chased home most days, a lot of gang violence, and I got stabbed when I was 11 years old. So when I came to 12 years old, I was like, fuck, I need to put a stop to this. So I joined the boxing gym with no intention other than learning how to fight in the street. It was a Roman Catholic school I grew up in. They're all white guys there. They never accepted me. And the brown guys in the street, they were Hindu, Muslim, or Sikh, and they never accepted me. So I was always like this outsider growing up. Whereas in the gym, it didn't matter where I came from. All that mattered was where I was headed. Ben Amana. Ben Amana. Fox Roth founder and CEO, Ben Amana. I, I did 1.2 million in sales on my own as a one-man band. I had a Porsche 22, Aston Martin by 25, Bentley, Range Rover. I thought I was living a life. You can imagine a kid from the hood, you know, suddenly having all this cash. The car I drive now is a 1999 Volkswagen Polo, no air conditioning, wind-down windows, hubcaps. Like, I live a very simple life now. Welcome to the Redefined Podcast brought to you by The One Club, the world's first invite-only digital private members club. The ambition of this podcast is to explore the untold stories of entrepreneurs, athletes, influencers, and more. Where for you did the love of boxing start from? So I never actually had a love for boxing at the start, right? I got into boxing at the age of 12 so I could learn how to fight. I had no interest in boxing, I knew nothing about the sport. All I knew was that it was two guys getting the ring, trying to take each other's heads off. And where that came from, I was bullied a lot growing up. Parents came from India, they were Christian missionaries, um, so moved here at the age of six. Um, chased home most days, a lot of gang violence, and I got stabbed when I was 11 years old. Um, so when I came to 12 years old, I was like, fuck, I need to put a stop to this. You know? So I joined the boxing gym with no intention other than learning how to fight in the street. Um, very quickly, though, I realized that boxing was more than just the notion of two guys getting in the ring trying to take each other's heads off, right? It taught me about the, uh, the barriers of discipline, mindfulness, love, and all these characteristics, which still to this day people don't associate with the sport of boxing. Um, but I think for me what really drew me to it was, first of all, the discipline. Like, being a 12-year-old in school, like, you, you get told to rise, and at the end of the year you'll get the exam results. But in the gym, the coach, I remember like three weeks after I joined the gym, the coach told us to go on five-mile runs each week. Um, I never did that. I thought this, this idiot ain't going to know if I, if I run or not. Then we get into sparring and I get my head taken off. I'm like, okay, right, I need to be disciplined in what I'm doing. And then mindfulness, right? With mindfulness, the very notion of hitting a moving object while it's trying to hit you back, while you're trying to protect your head, your body, move your feet in sync with the upper body, it requires focus like nothing else, right? You can't think about the past or imagine the future. You have to be present there in the moment. And then with love, like being a brown Christian in school, it was a Roman Catholic school I grew up in. They're all white guys there, and they, they never accepted me. Um, and the brown guys in the street, they were Hindu, Muslim, or Sikh, and they never accepted me. So I was always like this outsider growing up. Whereas in the gym, it didn't matter where I came from. All that mattered was where I was headed. So in there, it's like we were family. And you know, within two weeks of joining, I remember, um, I saw this kid from a different gang in the club. And probably about three months before that, I saw him on the street. He was maybe three years older than me. I saw him on the street on the other side, and I put my hood up and walked the other way. And when I saw him in the gym, I remember getting scared. I was like, this guy's going to come over and take my head off. He walked up to me, fist bumped me. And it's like we were family there and then. So it's like boxing really became that second home for me. Um, so that was that initial draw. But there was never that, that intention to start with. I think there is a big misconception when people get involved in sport still to this day, thinking that you don't have to go to the boxing gym to read the benefits of it, right? You don't have to spar. But if you understand the biomechanics of the sport and, you know, and take it seriously to a degree without actually competing, you'll see so many benefits outside of just the physicality of it and more around sort of your mental health, you know, and your, just your physical well-being and the community you'll, that you'll uh, meet in the gym. Your story resonates with so many other boxers as well. They go there initially so they don't get beaten up. Yeah. But find, like you say, you talk, it's very spiritual what you're talking about, another, another purpose. 
And schools, brilliant way. Again, um, I've worked in schools where we help children that are struggling with the rules of school. But when you put it into a boxing situation or help them with boxing or a sports term, then they start understanding about discipline, rules, respect, and everything exactly. like that. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, so when did that... Who was, that, who was your inspiration in the boxing? Was it your coach? Do your parents inspire you? You know, it, it was honestly, there wasn't like an inspiration. There was no boxer that I looked at. I was like, I want to be like him. It was just, it was, I was insecure. I was a very insecure kid. And all I cared about was being able to walk through the street and not be a target. You know, and the moment that I can stand up with confidence. And it wasn't that I was going around knocking every guy out that I saw who looked at me wrong, right? But I was able to walk through the streets with this air of confidence. And when you can do that, it's like, people can sense that, you know, when you're walking in those environments. Even still to this day, like... I'm fine working through weird neighbourhoods, you know, I'm, I'm still in Coventry. I'm fine doing that, because it's like, but they can, they can look at me, they're like, okay, this, this guy can, you know, he's not going to walk around me or do this with his eyes, I'm, I can handle myself, you know. So when did it start turning that mindset in school of focus, determination, knowing what you want, going for your goals, when did you start realising you could turn that into what you've been as an entrepreneur? Because you were quite young when you started doing this. Yeah, and, and to be honest, like, if I look back at like, everything that I've done and like, pivotal things that have happened, it was always fed. Not, not, now, now I'm completely secure in who I am, right? Like, I've got no ego in, in what I'm doing. I don't give a monkey what people think about me. Um, but as a kid, you know, it was a big thing for me. Like, we, we didn't have a lot growing up, right? Um, and the insecurity sort of brought me into boxing. Uh, so it brought me into business, even. My mum used to give me... Does anyone remember the two-pence sherbet sticks from the newsagents? You empty two pence in your mouth... Everyone had them in school, right? Um, and my mum used to give me 50 pence emergency bus fare to get the bus when it was raining. Um, and then before and after school, friends would always buy sweets and chocolates at the newsagents. And I could never afford that. And I was always annoyed about it. Um, and then one day I used that 50 pence to buy the um, sweets and chocolates, went home without the money. Mum hit me over the back of the head with a chuckle, said, look, we can't afford that. You only use that in emergency. And I don't know what it was, but instinctively, the next day in school, um, in the, the newsagents, I saw these, these sherbet sticks. And there must have been about 30 of them left. And I knew that everyone you always used to have them. And I bought 25 of them. And I sold them in class for 10 pence. I was like, this, this shit's easy, man. Like, I've got the 50 pence to show my mom. And now I can buy the sweets and chocolates. And, and that idea just materialized over time. And, you know, and, and, and the goal was never to think, I'm a businessman. I just wanted to do the shit I wanted to do. So then by the age of 15, I got into Alibaba. Um, and still to this day, I hold the world record for the... I said world record. I hold the, I hold the Alibaba record for the... Um, for the youngest ones by an Alibaba history. So it means I was importing 10,000 units a year. USB sticks, MP4 players, blenders, DVD players, microwaves. And back then, you're thinking that's fucking a hell of a lot of blenders and microwaves, right? But back then, the, the, you could go to an independent electronics store and I could rock up there with 10 microwaves and there would be no questions asked. If I went to Curry's now with 10 microwaves in my, in my lab, they'd be, who, who's this guy, man? But back then it was easy, right? Um, but again, I was never doing it thinking that, I want to make the money to just sit on it or because I'm a businessman. I wanted to be able to afford to go to the chicken shop at the weekend, go ice skating with my friends in the evenings, be able to do what I wanted, you know, have the nice shoes, have the nice backpack, you know, because I never had any of that. So that was always the drive. I guess you saw, you saw your goal, you saw, once knew the outcome, what you wanted, and you just saw your way. But That's what it was. Sport, yeah, which sport teachers do that? Yeah. It's, where do I want to be? Where there's the medal? How am I going to get there? Exactly, yeah. I, where did you put all these microwaves, by the way? <laughs> well, my, my, I absolutely hated it. Absolutely hated it. Always, it was just in the garage. Just in the garage. Like, I mean, I got photos in my bedroom of just like stacking up these. Like, I went through a phase and I bought five thousand. I didn't mean to order five thousand. I bidded too much, um, thinking that I wouldn't get it. I was like playing around. Five thousand pairs of carbon climb boxes came to my flat. Um, came to our house, um, and they were just stacked in the house for ages because people don't need that many boxes in Coventry. Um, 
Yeah. Still to this day, friends have still have, have those boxes. Yeah. Amazing. Um, so my microphone's not working, so I'm just going to talk a little bit louder. Can you hear me at the back? Yeah. 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 No worries. Thank you. Um, so where did it start? Where did it go from microwaves into box Where was that? Where was that born? That was like a long, long way after. Oh, okay. A long, long so way where, after. Where did it go in between then? Talk us through that in between then. Yeah. So um, I went to university. Uh, I went to Bristol University. Um, I made a very foolish mistake when I applied of Googling which halls to apply for. And it said, only apply to Churchill Hall if you're from a public school. Now, I thought a public school meant it's open to the public. <laughs> Bearing in mind, I've gone from being the poor kid in the school, so not being necessarily a rich kid, but the kid that could afford what he wanted, right? I had this Peugeot 206, big alloy wheels, big exhaust, tinted windows, rock up on day one to Churchill Halls, um, and I'm surrounded by all these rich kids. You know, with Audi's, BMWs, like, motherfucker, where did they get this money from, man? I'm like, I've been grinding these few years. I, I thought I was doing well. And I realized I was suddenly in this environment whereby I felt very insecure again. So I started a boxing club and a nightclub promotion company. Um, the box, boxing club, by the third year, we grew to 970-odd members, um, which a sense of scale, like the second largest was, I think, lacrosse, like 200 members. So we weren't just slightly bigger. We were like a big entity compared, you know, to what was already there. Um, we had the largest intercollegiate boxing events there. We also started a nightclub promotion company. By the third year, I was doing eight nights a week over six days between Bristol and Newey. Um, and again, it, this, I was, I'm not thinking I'm a businessman. I'm just thinking I'm around all these kids with so much money. And I'll tell you the truth. I, I never told anyone that I was making all this money from the, car, from, the, um, from the boxing club or the nightclub promotion company. I told them my parents gave it to me because I was that insecure about the fact of where, where I came from. Now I'm completely open with it, you know. It's not until, like, recently I found myself, I'm like, actually, I can... Like, I tell people a story, like, Ben, you don't need to, like, be shy about this. But back then, I, I was just ashamed of it. Um, so, yeah, university, I left with a load of cash saved up. Um, I went to... I went back to college, actually. I went to an MBQ Level 3 in vehicle uh, mechanics. So I started to work with my dad as a mechanic at the age of 12, um, every Christmas holiday, summer holiday, every weekend. Um, and in my third year, I recognised that some people couldn't afford to get their cars repaired, so I was able to buy it off them and fix them myself. So I went to college, did my MVQ in mechanics, and started what was called the Auto House. Um, and essentially, that was what funded BoxRaw. So at the age of 22, just back to this insecurity thing, um, I, I did 1.2 million in sales on my own as a one-man band. I had a Porsche 22, Aston Martin by 25, Bentley, Range Rover. I thought I was living life. You can imagine a kid from the hood, you know, suddenly having all this cash. And, and it was just liquid cash. Like, it's completely opposite now. The car I drive now is a 1999 Volkswagen Polo, no air conditioning, wind-down windows, hubcaps. Like, I live a very simple life now, you know? But I had to go through that and just... With, with the car sales business, it was like I was just buying the next materialistic thing to try and fit in. And while it was great to be able to flaunt it on Instagram and, you know, all these other things, it was just... That, that was my only intent. It was like, I can't wait to show my friend this new watch or this new car or go on the holiday and take this helicopter trip across to the south of France. Like, it, it was just empty, you know? And then... String of businesses. If I told you every business, you think law of averages, Boxwell has to work now, you know. Um, and I got in trouble with the police. Um, the, the friendship group that I was with from back home, well, a few of them, just, 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 I was around the wrong people. I got stitched up for something that I didn't do. Um, very, very long story short, um, I, got, I was sent, almost sentenced to jail for seven years for perverting the course of public justice. And I went through nine months of... So all that cash that I made in the car sales business suddenly went to Queen's Council, in, just in lawyers' fees. Um, and they told me, Ben, three years minimum, we're going to try... Sorry, three, they're pushing for seven, but three years minimum, we'll try and get you three to four. Um, and you can imagine, uh, I must have been, what, 24 years old, um, being told that, thinking, this is great, this life I'm living, but this freedom's going to get taken away from me. And it really changed everything. Um, in the sense of, first of all, all the friends that were with me before 
I was the guy that was paying for everything at the weekends, right? Every bottle, every club, every holiday trip, literally helicopter trips I was paying for. And then suddenly they're like, okay, Ben's done in nine months. We're not going to see him again. And I was just like a nobody to them now. Um, and it broke my heart, honestly. It really, really broke my heart, you know. And then closer up to the, towards the court date. Um, and, and just for the record, I, I did, generally did not do the crime. Like, I, I was stitched up by a friend. Did I try, have we got time to give you some context of this? Because I feel like you're all going to be thinking I'm a murderer or something. Like that. <laughs> 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 so two best friends, right, from two different friendship circles. One from home, a drug dealer. Dad was in jail for manslaughter, previously in jail for murder. Other best friend, Jess, from school. Totally went to a Christian school. Good church girl. We used to go to church together. Um, I introduced them. They're in a relationship, very abusive. Austin, the idiot, got in trouble with the police, didn't turn up for his bail. Thereafter, meaning if he gets arrested, he will be in jail until his court date. He and Jess are in an argument three, about three months later. She calls the police because he won't leave the house. Um, police say, come over, arrest him. He's now in jail for about six months. During that six-month period, I'm passing notes between them together. I didn't realise that's a crime. So they first arrested me for witness intimidation. I'm quite cocky, so when they arrested me, I was laughing in their face, giving them loads of shit. Knew, knowing that, I didn't intimidate her. I had text messages of, of me saying and her saying to me, can you meet? give me the note. I knew I was cool. They came back 30 days later, dropped the case, but raised a more serious case, perversing the course of public justice, which means you're stopping the law from essentially doing the law. And the minimum sentence for that is three years. Um, so it's a, like, if any of your friends get in jail, don't get involved in sort of passing notes because that was a genuinely like an honest mistake. But what had happened is that if she had told the truth, she would be in my position. So it's this like sort of doggy dog like situation whereby I was the innocent one, but those guys had to sort of just stay out of it. Um, where was that in the story? <laughs> um, so anyway, I went to I went to court, bags packed. I remember I shaved my head, called all my gangster friends. Like, listen, I'm, I might be coming in. Um, had to. Um, just, I'm, I'm genuinely serious. I'm genuinely serious. I had to do it, um, and it, it was horrible. Like we, the house we grew up in, like, we had paper thin walls. Mum found out about what was happening close to the time. You know, she's crying herself to sleep, and I remember to write letters to people to take care of the business, the car sales business, and it was even now thinking about it, it was like such a dark time, but. What it taught me now, like, I'm so happy it happened. So happy it happened because I've developed such a thick skin. And now under pressure, anything happens, like, I've got my freedom. Like, it's such a good feeling knowing that tomorrow is, like, in a way promised, you know, and not, I'm not going to be stuck in a jail cell. I think listening to you there as well, I think I, I can sense of um, authenticity. Like, you've got, you've got it now, whereas you didn't. Didn't have it then. You, you were yeah. living in a fake world. 100%. I mean, you know, in sport, you can't do that in sport. Yeah. You get found out very quickly. Mm-hmm. Found out the boxing ring, you get found out the bo- uh, badminton court, football pitch, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And it feels like you found that. Did, he, did that kind of correlate with, with sport training as well, with that kind of going through that shit, basically? Um, so, can you say the question again? <laughs> yeah. Through that, on the sport as well, did you find that was part of the journey? Yeah. Collaborating together, going through what you went through. I mean, 100%. You know, as I look back at everything that happened in my life to do with business and boxing, like, you know, sorry, I realised what I was meant to be telling now, the whole story of Boxer um, and how I got to that point. Like, I don't know how long we got left. Sorry, sorry, actually. Um, where, where am I? The, yeah, so this is what got you through it. This is what got me through it, yeah, exactly, yeah. Box short, so 100%. Like, right, this is yeah. what I want to do. Yeah, this exactly. Is yeah, and it was, it was actually off the back of, uh, so before, so actually context of boxing, so started to compete. I boxed in the national championships and won it at the age of 19. I spent about nine months at Team GB before I developed arthritis in my wrist and knuckles. Um, and boxing was always a recurring theme whereby 
I loved it, but I never thought I was ever going to have a career in it. Um, and I say, with the car sales business, I had other business on the side. One of them was actually called Box Raw, but it was an um, event promotion company. So we used to hold white-collar events for charity, um, boxing events. Um, and I was working on a mobile phone app at the time. And uh, this is while the court case was going on. It was essentially Instagram stories before Instagram stories came, came out. Motherfuckers copied me, obviously. Um, obviously, no, they didn't. Um, and then we spent two years working on that. Uh, five days into launch, the two co-founders gave up. Um, again, incredibly annoyed, depressed about it. And I happened to be training for a fight. Um, and I was running down the street. I remember I was wearing this Adidas tracksuit. And I remember just thinking, I wanted people to know that I was training for a fight, right? I was very proud to box. But there wasn't a brand that represented boxing. The brands that came before us, they just focused on the end result. The boots, gloves, shorts. No one focused on the journey. You know, but to me, it was the journey that was most magical about the sport. And then, I suppose, off the back of the app failing, you know, and thinking sort of big level scale, you know, aside from the car sales business, um, I'm doing more research in sportswear brands. You know, I'm starting to recognize that every major sports brand, they start with a new sport, right? Nike, athletics, Under Armour, American football, Adidas, soccer, Vans, skateboarding, Montclair, skiing, right? It's been done in every sport in history, apart from boxing. But the difference now is that we're at the start of this golden era of boxing, Whereby people aren't just looking to compete, they're looking to get their mind right, their body right. Part of group fitness classes, got every celebrity and every YouTuber flocking to the sport now. There's now more boxing studios and yoga studios in every major capital around the world. So the timing was perfect for us. Um, so the vision was very simple, to be the reason why the world got into boxing. You know, shift that narrative away from boxing being viewed as this elitist sport that only a few can partake in at the elite level. And instead show that anybody, age, gender, socio-demographic group, sexual orientation, you can take up a sport and really have it change your life. You know? And how it benefits one person will not be the same as how it benefits someone else. And that, that's our job, right? To shift that narrative and reduce those barriers to entry into the sport. So, you know, in short, if you don't know what Boxer is, right now, if you've, if you've heard of us or seen us, we look like just a sportswear and lifestyle brand. That's our right now bread and butter. We've got a technology arm to the business as well um, called Boxer Labs, which in short uses... Um, it's AI tracking. We, we track the skeletal positional data of boxers through computer vision with no sensors. And we use that to inform analytics and insights for boxers, fans, broadcasters, and gamblers. Um, we've also got a charity called Boxing is Love, um, where we're building um, boxing gyms across the developing world. The first one's being built in Liberia. Second will be finished sooner, actually, in Cape Town, South Africa. Um, and I suppose you know, where, where that comes from is like the vision is to be the reason why the world got into boxing. And we can't say, you know, that we truly believe that vision if I only take into account the people that can afford our products. So the, the mission is just to bring boxing to the world and the market will reward us. You know, what I'm trying to do is create an ecosystem. Like, it, it annoys me, but then you're doing this well. Like we're, we're, we're so far away from where we want to be right now, honestly. So far away. And you, you look at the biggest brands in the world, they're not brands. They're ecosystems. Apple is not a brand, it's an ecosystem. They've got every touch point for you to live your life. For me, that's what I'm trying to do with boxing, from the apparel to the equipment to the technology the charity side of it, like I want to own each touch point, own it, monopolize it, and sort of branch out after that point. You know, it's become like these brands, big brands that come before us. And that'll be the interesting thing we do over the next few years, and that shifting that narrative away from just the physicality of the sport, more around it into the mindset, and that in every mind is a fighter. And that's how we we'll plan to do it. Um, I'm going to open to questions, so please speak and talking to us, Ben. Um, I'm going to check my phone as well. If anyone's put any in the app, but you can't just do the old-fashioned way of putting your hands up as well. That we're quite. I'm quite like that as well. Um, while I'm thinking of a question, yeah. I've got one last question for you. Yeah. Three words, three keys to success. Three words, like three key words to success in 2022. Discipline, 100%. Yeah. Mindfulness, 100%. Um, I don't want to cheap out because I value. I say love, but then link that into more sort of like communication, like how you communicate. Okay
journey and about Oxford. Well, has any come up through the phone? Has any come up through the phone? Can I have another beer? <laughs> Is that possible? Okay. And while everyone, can you speak with questions? I mean, I can keep going. Oh, yes. Oh, there we go. Right. Um, can you shout them out or do you want us to microphone? Yeah, go for it. So you mentioned um, the fact that you've got a sport and that's what's kind of like helped box war and the trend towards boxing, right? But there must be other things that really set you guys apart. And what, what are the keys to the success of your brand? I think relationship building is the fundamental thing, right? If I look at like the key sort of spikes we've ever had in traffic or sales or notoriety within sport, it's all been about relationships. So it was what worked really well in our favour when we started five years ago was that we, um, but boxing wasn't big on Instagram, right? Twitter was a big thing. So when we launched, we launched with twenty thousand followers. I spent about six nine months building the Instagram before launch. Um, so at that point, we had the same amount of followers as most of the boxers out there. So we'd reach out to them and I'd. Listen, I'm the biggest hustler you're ever going to meet. I used to reach out to them thinking, you know, with different aliases. They, they thought they were dealing with this big company, you know. Um, so I, they'd go through assistance and then finally they get to me. They're like, oh, who's this Ben guy? Like, this, this, this guy's a big deal, you know. Um, so that really helps. And then even with the supply chain. So it's really hard in the early days to get suppliers to take you seriously. So, again, I just have different alias accounts uh, before launch this was. Um, we had a coming soon page. So it looked like the, com- the company was, like, doing a rebrand. Um, and I, I just talked dribble, honestly. I talked dribble to them, like, fire them through different email chain loops, all being me. And they're like, okay, this must be quite serious. These guys know what they're doing, you know? Um, and, then, and, and then we got on board, you know, with some big suppliers who really helped help us. And, you know, the, the product was great, you know, and instantaneously we gifted it out to, you know, some of the biggest name in the world and they'd be posting it and they didn't want any money for it. They just really liked the story and they loved the product, you know? So we haven't paid a penny in any influencer marketing today, you know? Everything you see, we've got Drake as a customer, Mark Wahlberg, Michael B. Jordan, Rick Ross, TI, 6 9 you know, loads of UK rappers all, all, all over here. Um, and it's just, it's legit clothing, you know. I've got one question here, and I was going to ask you that earlier mm-hmm. as well. So why did you become a member of my club? Um, Akshay, first of all. Um, <laughs> sold me on it. Um, yeah, and, it's, and you know, I, I, think, I think that's important as well. I think it's just, it's, it's the network you surround yourself with. Like, I know more than anyone that, you know, the importance of surrounding yourself by good by, you know, with great people and being in an environment, I think, where you can, where you can easily access someone else's network, you know, and all it is is an introduction. Like if someone needs an introduction to a supplier or, you know, can you introduce them to this manager or ask this question? You know, I'm very open to it. I think as you grow in business, you recognize the power of just like being open of like sharing your network and just making introductions. Like nothing's guaranteed, right? But I can make an introduction for anyone I'm friends with, right? And it comes so much better when it comes, you know, introductions are so much better when it comes from a legit introduction if that makes sense like someone you actually know they can vouch for you versus you cold calling someone or cold emailing and going through the traditional line you, you'll get mates rates you know you get some sort of favor where i don't know if the company is like they charge by services maybe they'll give you the first few hours for free you know so i, I think that's important yeah and I, I will just you know say exactly the same from sport we know that we would never achieved what we achieved without the help of so many people in that team there's one person on that podium well in my case of two people on the podium but there was a whole team of people behind the scenes. You know, you just can't do it on your own. And that's why, you know, I'm a member, and that's why you're a member as well. You just, yeah, you can't do it on your own. You people. Um, any other questions? Someone here. Oh, someone there, yeah. Uh, ben, thank you very much for coming today. I'm Ryan. Um, question that I have for you is obviously you're a serial entrepreneur. How do you overcome imposter syndrome? You have an idea of a venture that you want to entertain. Say the part after imposter syndrome, sorry. 
How do you overcome the element of imposter syndrome when you find a venture that you want to pursue? I've come in many points in my life where I'm sitting in my bedroom thinking, okay, this is the idea that's going to make you rich, but I don't pursue it because I have that limiting factor. So for you, how do you overcome that struggle or that hurdle? Mate, I'll be honest with you, it happens all the time. There's so many times where I'm like, am I completely out of my depth here? You know, we'll win certain... It happens, we win, we win awards, I'm like... Shit, this is, this shit's real, you know. And it's I, I think the, the biggest the, the things that really help me are my rituals, right? So I'm I'm very disciplined in how I structure my day. Um, and, and I think I think the biggest thing that helps with that, right, is journaling. I don't know how many people journal in here, but I journal every day. And it's like, to explain, if you don't journal, like, the reason why it helps, right? When you have got situations like this, you're like, I'm out of my depth. But when you're thinking in your head, right, you, your head can go in a million miles an hour in so many different directions, and it's hard for you to rationalise things. The process of actually journaling, and when I say journal, I mean either writing physically down or using a keyboard, you can't type as quickly as you can think, right? So you haven't got the time to write down these millions of ideas in your head because you, your fingers are going to go numb, okay? So it forces you just to slow down a little bit and have the conversation with yourself, you know? And whenever I have the conversation with myself, I rationalise the process, and it'll always come to a positive outcome. I'm like, actually, yeah, I'm, I'm built for this. And I think you, you have to have that self-belief. And I think, you know, growing up, mum always told me you can do anything you put your mind to. It, it always goes on in my head, you know? I just think... Without sounding big-headed, there isn't anything that I can't achieve. My, my goals are so big, you know, in terms of where I'm trying to take this. Um, yeah, I, I just fundamentally believe in, in what I'm doing, you know. So I get those, get those things all the time, all the time. In fact, even today, I had a meeting with a CEO of a, of a big company over here. He tore the business apart in the sense of, you know, I went there just for like a meet and greet um, with him. And very positively, he tore the business apart and it was like really challenging me. He was trying to break me down. I was like, he's like, why are you smiling? I was like, because you've just given me ammunition to like try and work on, you know? I like that. I welcome that. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Redefined podcast. We want to bring you the best stories from the top change makers across the globe. To make that possible, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening and leave a comment or review. It really is that simple. Thank you again for listening and we'll see you for the next episode.